everyone and welcome to His Film, Her Movie, the podcast that answers the question to what lengths will one married couple go to to make the other watch some films that they love. In every episode, we choose a specific cinematic topic and then must choose one film each that exists within the bounds of that topic. I'm Jordan. I'm Lauren. And welcome to the show. Welcome. I nearly said good morning and it's not the morning. No, it's still light though. Maybe that's it. My body clock's screwed. <laughs> well, we have been getting up pretty early in the morning, so... It's... I was going to say, every day is a morning. <laughs> every, well, every day does have a morning. That's how the world turns. Oh, I'm so pleased I'm not in tomorrow. So <laughs> <laughs> off work, lovely. So we're going to start the show off a little bit differently. Yeah? With a bit of a discussion before we get into the the weighty part of the show so what's been keeping you entertained since we've last recorded what have you been watching what's been tickling your fancy oh i've been watching a lot of stuff on disney plus right um i just watched a really good trashy episode of filthy rich right what's filthy rich it's got um rich evangelical people okay and um one of them like dies and you find out they actually had all this secret past and secret children and it's it's got Kim Cattrall in from this from Sex and the City so it's just it's it's trashy right it's like the new version of uh, Dynasty uh, okay it's like a soap opera it's like a, yeah basically oh, okay. it's just like a soap opera but there's that and then of course there's Bones because I do love a good grisly murder yeah you've been working your way through Bones over the last what maybe Month, month and a half? Yeah, I think so. It's just becoming more farcical and I kind of love it. And I also love the fact that David Boreanaz isn't brooding as much in this TV show because I just couldn't hack him as Angel. <laughs> what about you? What have you been watching? Well, I was on a, another Pod Syndicate podcast. You have been on many Pod Syndicate podcasts yeah. recently. Um, we, we have a, the Play It Forward podcast on the bonus show feed. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we, um, some pod syndicate hosts, gift each other some movies. So for that, we watched Yi Yi, um, which was my choice for Ian, which was a Taiwanese sort of family drama, which is still, it's blown as one of one of the, the best films of the 21st century. It really does stand up like that. Edward Yang is just chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. We watched Passion of the, uh, not Passion of the Christ, The Last Temptation of Christ, Matt and Scorsese's 1988 film. That was what, what I was watching very aptly on a Sunday morning when you came down from bed. <laughs> oh yeah, we must say that Jordan still gets up at like ridiculous o'clock and I'll roll out of bed at like 10am <laughs> going, what's happening? Oh, is that the one where um, I came in and I was like, oh, look, he's died. And you were like, yeah, he's going to rise in a couple of minutes and it's still half, only halfway through the film. Well, j- oh, j- j- time travelling Jesus. It's not technically, it's, time, it's not really time travelling, but yeah. That was Jesus what it does was. live out his life in a way. Time travelling Jesus. <laughs> we also watched The Mule, the Clint Eastwood film. Mm-hmm. Um, which stars Clint Eastwood as well with Bradley Cooper, which is all right. And, oh, what was the fourth film that we watched for that podcast? You have watched, it wasn't Lord of the Rings, but you did that the other week, didn't you? Yeah, well, we've still got one episode of There and Back Again to do. We've still got the last 
film in the Hobbit trilogy to do, the Battle of the Five Armies, and we'll probably be doing that in the next couple of weeks with me Ian, and Becky. Mm-hmm. Does Mark not get involved with these? Not with the Lord of the Rings one, no. He's not a big Lord of the Rings Middle Earth fan, is Mark. Ah, oh, see, this is why I love that man. <laughs> and the other podcast, the, sorry, the other film that we did for Plate 4 was The Friends of Eddie Coyle, the Peter Yates movie with Robert Mitchum. Made in 1975, but it takes a lot of its influences from <clears throat> the European thrill makers of the 60s, like your Jean-Pierre Melvilles, um, your Gilles Dassin, even your, your Petris in, in Italy. It's a very European film uh, feeling thriller, which was great. So last week was a very good film watching week for me. There were some really, really good movies. I just, I just, I just look at it and go, "You're like, oh, I watched this Taiwanese film and I watched this seventies film." What did I watch? I watched utter trash. It's what you enjoy. I love a bit of trash. They don't make trash TV like they used to. They really don't. But that's because everybody, everywhere has well, is scared of the ethics I and know. the morality of them. Do getting... you know what we need? We need a new series of footballers' wives. Wow, that would go down <laughs> like a lead What burn. was it? Chardonnay. Yes. <laughs> Football, that's what we need. We need footballers' wives to be brought back. <laughs> Frosted tips, too much gel and extra long French tipped acrylics. <laughs> so uh, before we get into the show, we are a podcast of Pod Syndicate. So you can go over to wearepodsyndicate.com and check all out the other great shows, film, TV, pop culture, whatever you fancy, you'll find it there. Mm-hmm. So our topic for this show, <clears throat> what is it? Serial killers. Yeah. I don't know why I chose serial killers. Because your wife loves murder. You do. You love a bit of true crime. I love true crime. The thing is, I can't watch horror. Yeah. I can't watch horror. But, but you but you can watch people literally, like, crime photos of splattered guts. Yeah, I can. And that's just it. It's like, I can watch all that. I can watch that. And, like, when we're watching Bones, they've had, like, schools with, like, the eyes just going, bleh, and, like, coming out of them. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. If that was, if put that in a dark house with some creepy music, I'd be sitting on the floor crying, having a panic attack. <laughs> but because it's, it, it's, if they're going to solve what happens and the bad guy's going to get it, I'm fine. <laughs> Absolutely fine. Oh, man. So what have you chosen for this? Well, I picked the... 2003 Patty Jenkins biopic Monster. Yeah, Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman director. Yes. Monster. And I actually chose, strangely enough, <laughs> 2003's Memories of Murder, directed by Bong Joon Ho. Yes. Of Academy Award winning fame nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, South Korean movie. And which one do you want to discuss first? Oh, I don't know. I picked last week. You can pick this week. Should we do a monster first? Yes, okay. Hey, you gotta help me. I know, I got you. Come on. <laughs> there, you got it. You better not let me break my other arm. See, you can do this. You're very good, man. You think you can do it by yourself? Okay. There you go. Now let's feel the music. Turn. Feel the music. Music. <laughs> oh man! You having fun? Yeah. 
relaxing couples. Oh man, I love this song. Oh, I love it too. What a relaxing couple. Say that. Oh, uh, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. No, 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 I no, no, no. Come on, come with me. No, but Trevor. So who cares about him? Come on. You ready? those of you who've maybe not watched Monster, for once I have picked a film that whilst it was huge at the time it kind of came out, it's um, maybe one that people don't really go to um, anymore but uh, it is the film about Eileen Werner who was the Daytona Beach prostitute turned serial killer um and it i saw this film very very long time ago so why why did you choose it and i chose it one because i hadn't seen it for a long time and i'm a i I do enjoy patty jankin's work i think she she's very good director she also wrote the film Mm -hmm. and also because when you see people play eileen wernos um I feel like Charlie's Theron was like the first sort of person to really do her. Mm-hmm. And then other people that I've kind of seen doing her has been very much more of a caricature of her. I felt like this was probably a lot more like what she actually is. And it was also the first time I kind of became aware of Charlie's Theron because. You know, she gained weight for it. She shaved off her eyebrows for this role. She really went in. She went kind of method, not she really went, method. She went, did but go full method. She, she, she changed her appearance. She completely changed her appearance. And it is something that she has done in more recent films, and mm. she has gained a lot of uh, acclaim for it. But for that time, a woman doing it was like something that you'd never, ever really heard of them doing. So... Watching this film again, it's quite uh, an unusual one to sort of watch because you do see it very much through um, Eileen's eyes. Yeah. You don't see it through the eyes of the victims. You don't see it as as a neutral party. You see it through her eyes and it goes through a lot of the whole, at the beginning, um, it's her monologue over past memories and talking about how she was always a dreamer and she wanted to get away and she wanted to be famous and she wanted to be an actress and how she thought she was going to be discovered because all these people get discovered when they go out for soda or to the mall and that never happened to her. But um, she obviously came from a house that wasn't very loving. Very abusive. Very, very abusive. And that ended her coming becoming a prostitute at a very young age. Um, And it also has Christina Ricci in, who I love. I think she's absolutely gorgeous. Um, Playing Selby, who is her girlfriend. Um, And again, I think it's an excellent portrayal by Christina Ricci because before that, I knew her from kids' films. I didn't know her as an adult you, you, well, you knew her as Wednesday Adams, basically. Yeah, I knew from was it Ghost. Ghost. Can't forget Ghost. Casper, you mean? Sorry, yeah, Casper, not Ghost. Casper, <laughs> the friendly ghost. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, uh, I picked this film just because I just thought it'd be, I thought it'd be an interesting one. Yeah. Um, there's not many female serial killers. Well, that's one thing that I I find interesting is that the, the reason, and the very obviously there isn't that many female serial killer movies, and, no. and, and obviously giving that different perspective and different experience. Yeah, and I think as well when you when you see like a woman in a film who's a serial killer, it's usually the femme fatale, very like she's sexy and she's alluring and. Like the um, like like a praying mantis, she brings the men to her and then she murders them. Yeah. Whereas Amy Reynolds was not that; she was she was a prostitute. She was bog standard looking woman. Um, she obviously like lived rough, yeah, and everything. So yeah, she she was just doing whatever job that she could do, and this this was it. Um. What did when I when I picked this film? What what was the first you you will have seen it? I, I hadn't seen it again in in years. It was one of those that, to be honest, I think I probably watched it at the time it came out because I remember mm-hmm. seeing it before she won the Oscar. And that's one thing. It's like you can't really talk about monster and not have Charlize Theron as the main subject of your discussion. The, the, that transformation, that performance, and, and it it could be wrongly like attributed to the greater makeup and that weight gain, but it is a bit of a complete performance. It is, I it, completely agree. The, the whole energy that she gives to Eileen, she's so fidgety and awkward and unpredictable, and and that is understandable when you when you're looking at that character, especially given the perspective of which we're telling this story and what we're experiencing stories very mm-hmm. much from, from the inside <clears throat> out. Like you would normally see, we're going to go into another film with my choice where you're looking from the outside in. Yes. And, and to be honest, you know what I think it is also? It's it's not the makeup, it's not the eyebrows, it's not it's not the weight gain that, that puts me off about Eileen. It's the black eyes. Like her eyes don't have any sort of discernible iris, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like sharks' eyes. They're so eerie to watch, and like when she just focus on something, and she has that like really wide-eyed gaze. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so creepy to watch, <clears throat> and yeah, and as you said, it's when you've got a female serial killer, you and I think Patty Jenkins does this well is. And especially given her, in real life, her, her reasons behind killing was that they were all in self-defense. Yeah. Like, you're trading on that line of being, or not wanting to show, it'd be like a feminist rage picture. Mm-hmm. You don't, and even though in some cases, like, you may find her actions acceptable, especially in the terms of that first killing that she does that is self-defense however what you you're treading a fine line of condoning her actions Mm -hmm. and showing sympathy i'm using sort of air quotes there yeah and but that's what i find interesting i find interesting seeing their experience Mm -hmm. and seeing their reasons and i don't think patty jenkins ever really does show her that much sympathy because again, we do get following scenes where <clears throat> she does stuff out 
outside of her remit, as she would say, she give her, her own parameters of I kill them when they attack me or whether they're yeah. the thing. And yeah, it's sort of like when we watched Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, the Ted Bundy, Zac Efron movie. Yes. And I like seeing the the curtain over people's eyes. <clears throat> That's it, yeah. The, the charismatic personality that hides the disturbing individual mm-hmm. because generally what we do get is you get the memories of murder. It's, oh, did you get, did you see his face? Yeah. What did it look like? Ordinary. It's because people generally don't, serial killers don't look like serial killers. No, that's it. And they always, it's always like the thing that people say, like monsters just look the same as you and I. Mm. They're still, they're just, they're just people. Um, And as well, like, I think, I think with this, this kind of film, yeah, it's like you've said, they could have made it like a big, or, you know, sympathy thing. Because she was obviously suffering from PTSD during, during the film and everything. And um, she grapples with like guilt at one point. She wants to go straight and she wants to get a, like a, what she calls it being like a real job. Yeah, yeah. Not being a sex worker anymore. And she's unable to do that. Um, it doesn't paint Selby in a good light at all. Well, Selby's a bit of a strange character, I find, because, and probably even a bit more of an interesting character, because, like, the whole film is this tragedy of two lost souls. Mm -hmm. You've got Eileen, who was subject to child abuse, of mental abuse, of physical abuse, of, of sexual abuse as a child. Mm-hmm. And you've got Selby, who is this, this closeted person who, who has been forced to be closeted and not be themselves and be in a highly religious, highly unacceptable home where she feels like she needs to escape. And what you've got is you've got one person who is looking for a connection in yeah. Selby. Yeah. Because she's, she doesn't feel like she can be herself and she hasn't been shown. And the first person who shows her affection and interest, she falls for. Mm-hmm. And yet her decisions in the movie, especially when she finds out about the killings, it's like, I didn't get that. I, I, I understand maybe why she was lured in by Eileen at the beginning. I couldn't understand what her... Her character... See, I, I feel like I did understand her maybe mm-hmm. a bit more. She was just... She was manipulative. She was very manipulative. Um, yeah, she was taken in by Eileen to begin with. Yeah. And then I think it became a case of it was very easy for her to then be able to get her own way. Her saying, oh, I can't get a job because I've got a broken arm. Yeah. I can't get a job because I've got a broken arm. The, well, power, the power dynamic changes. The power dynamic completely changes. And then um, when Eileen gets, decides to... Um, not be a prostitute anymore. And she's like, I'm hungry. You said this was going to be fun. And you said we were going to do this. And now I'm going to leave you. And so Eileen's gone from being in one abusive relationship to a different kind of abusive that's a really relationship. Good, that's a really good way of looking at it, actually. Um, because Selby knows exactly what she's doing. Exactly what she's doing. At the end, when Eileen comes back and she's like, I killed a guy and he's an ex-cop. 
and she's freaking out and she doesn't know what to do. And she's like, we can't do this. We can't do this. We have to go on the bus, get away this way. Um, Selby says, go out and get another car. You have to go out and you have to do it again. And you're going to have to get another car. You're going to have to do it. Yeah. And it's like, this person you say that you love is coming back and doing this and freaking out. Like you're not, she's not supportive. And then at the end, she sells her out. Which, yes, is the right thing to do. But you could tell, like, when she was first on the phone to her and Eileen was in prison, Mm -hmm. she was putting on the cry voice. She was pretending to cry. She wasn't crying because her face was completely dry. But that's it. And I think that's why it's such an interesting performance because even when she's saying stuff like that, Mm-hmm. And again, it might be the fact that it's Christina Ricci and of the way she looks, because she still looks quite childlike. She's still got the young features mm-hmm. where you always see her as the, the one not in control. She's innocent. Exactly. And she's protected. And you don't you don't see as her as the, the aggressor, but she kind of she's the the aggressor through guilt. She is and Eileen goes off and she does this one thing and Selby basically then encourages her mm. to go off and do it. And please do not take it as that I am saying or Eileen Wallace was like manipulated oh, no, to no, doing no. this. None of that. Totally, you know, awful things that she did. Do not agree with, do not support. But this is somebody who was mentally ill and was in an aw- had an awful childhood and that has just carried on throughout the entirety of her life. Yeah, I think it, it got to a place and, the, I mean, the way I saw it was that first murder was self-defence. Yes, definitely. Um, and it, it's, it's sort of, even in real life, the, the guy who did it was, they looked into him and, like, 10 years ago he had actually cases brought against him 10 years prior regarding mm-hmm. um, sexual assault and things like that. So you can take that. But it's like, for me, it's like um, Eileen was, saw the money that she got, saw that she didn't have to do the sex work mm-hmm. and just saw that really easy out. And then she started taking advantage of that. But to her, I don't think it was an easy way out because you then saw that later on how mm. much it was affecting her and it was affecting her in so many different ways. And as well, I think that it was, it, it's very interesting when you look at how it was filmed, when you look at things when she was younger, there was definitely stuff was a lot brighter and a lot, it was filmed like she was where she was, like it, it she's wearing lighter colours. It's a brighter colours all around her. There's lots more green and everything. And then as she's an adult and she's in this, everything's very muted. Everything is like dirty greys and whites. There's loads, lots of browns and tans and everything in there. And then the brightest thing is the blood that sort of comes out of the whole thing. Um, there are a couple of scenes that are slightly different, where, but they tend to be more when she's interacting with um, outside of her circle of people that she knows yeah, yeah. and um, just, just prostitution in general when they crash the car and it's on that uh, couple's garden that's all really bright and green but they, they've got nothing to do yeah, yeah. with that and then the last guy who she kills the ex-cop is the guy who's trying to help her 
and everything mm. as well. Um, what, what sorry, think- no, he's not the one who's trying to help her. The one who tries... Is he the one that tries to help her? Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. He is the one who's trying to help her and she's saying... Because she's very drunk and she's saying um, about her, her kids. Not really a kid. She's just got like a picture and everything. And... Um, like like that, even though it's it's that well, is darker as yeah, well. That, yeah. That's like in a darker setting, but he's not like the colours he's wearing yeah. are a lot lighter. But what do you think about like I quite enjoy the fact that the first killing I don't think doesn't happen till the fifty minute mark or something like that. Mm-hmm. I do like it does take the time to really give you an insight into this relationship yeah. between Selby and because you kind of forget you're watching somebody who's going to go on to kill someone and you're kind of rooting for these two, again, lost souls to find each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that's sort of bittersweet because you actually know what's going to be coming um, and the outcome of, of this relationship. But I really did. Like the, the sequences in the um, skating place and things like that, the roller yes. skates, was really cute. But again, if you saw that, that was, it was really sweet, but everything around them was bright and it was colourful yeah, yeah. and clean and happy because they were interacting with what's seen as being normal society when they go insular and they're mixing with those kinds of people everything is just so dark and it's oppressive on Mm. them which i think is a very good way of showing like there was if they were able to maybe go straight and get like normal nine to five jobs then none of this would have happened. Yeah. She would have maybe killed that one guy. It would have been awful. And then she would be like, right, no more. She would have got away with one murder of a guy who, tr- who tried to rape her, who did yeah. rape her. Which is a horrible scene. It is. It's absolutely awful. But they filmed it very well. Yeah. Have you got anything else more to add on Monster? Um, Just that um, Eileen Werners was, um, she was actually executed by lethal injection. Yeah, the year before the film came out. Yeah, it was the year before the film came out. And um, Charlie Theron got her Oscar on, um, I believe it was, Eileen Wernus's birthday, the 29th of February in wow. 2004. Wow. Yes. Right, so we will take a short break and then we'll come back with another 2003 film, Memories of a Murder. Boys, every Friday night on the show, you better know they keep it tight. ETL is back in the Jaystrom's in the zone. Introduce the co host, he doesn't do it alone. PCZ is about to hold court. You know, he's on the headset, you can hear him snort. Pop culture movies, TV shows, and games. Rotten Tomatoes reviews, news, and Blu rays. Foggy don't play around, he will bust a drop fast. Welcome to the Entertainment Landfill Podcast, the Jason and Steven Show. It's the Jason and Steven Show. What? what? The Jason and Steven Show. It's the Jason and Steven Show.
So Memories of Murder is a 2003 South Korean movie directed by Academy Award winner Bong Joon-ho and it's inspired by the Hwaseong murders between 1986 and 1991 where 10 women were raped and killed and these murders were infamous because it was claimed that they were at the hands of the first known South Korean serial killer. Mm-hmm. And this like film chronicles the police team <clears throat> responsible for the investigation into these murders. And this, when it came out, the film got decent reviews um, in 2003. But since then, and as the years have passed, it's become more and more respected. Like most of Bong Joon-ho's work, it's become a very much a cult Classic, but not mm-hmm. even called classic, but it really is like one of the best films of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I remember being introduced to it because, uh, because like in 2007, a film called Zodiac came out, yes. directed by David Fincher, because Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr. And I was obsessed, I still kind of am with that movie. And also, a movie called The Host, which was directed by Bong Joon-ho, came out in 2006, which was critically acclaimed. I remember going to see it in the cinema and loving it. And I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, go hunt out Memories of Murder. It's, it's the host director directing a very much like a Zodiac, great police procedural that is an uns- unsolved serial killer, takes place over many years, and it still has that vibe. And yeah, and, and because of that, because of that similarity, like the two films do have like a symbiotic relationship. Many people do compare the two even yeah. now because it, it has the same the same vibe. But why did I choose this? I like the two films that we've picked because I think it shows the two ends of the spectrum of the serial killer movie. Like on one hand, we've got first-hand experience in the killers, the killers' motives, motives the personality, everything like that. And then we've got Memories, who is about the detectives and trying to figure out who the killer is and what he'll do next. <clears throat> yeah. I think it's a testament to how two films can exist that have a serial killer in it, but it'd be completely two different experiences when you watch it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I love murder mystery movies. I do. I, I, anything that involves like an investigation or like that police procedural, just people trying to figure out things. It, it, that's my catnip. I mm-hmm. really love it. But why I love Memories of Murder is that generally the films like that involve like hard-boiled detectives, intelligent. You've got great cops against conniving killers where this is a totally different way because like Memories of Murder shows and exposes a bit the incompetence and the incapability of the police at that time in South Korea and shows that like how these killings were allowed to happen in a way, because I mean, you do get to see these arcs of these characters, but like at the beginning of the film, I just love seeing like 
when we're getting introduced to Kang Ho Song's Detective Park and Rohas Kim's Detective Cho, who play the two, let's say at the beginning, torturers of people. Now, they really are. Like, Kang Ho Song is a, now is one of the most famous faces in like South Korean cinema. He's been in so much, he's been in quite a few Bong Joon Ho um, Bong Joon Ho movies, like this, The Host, Parasite. Mm-hmm. Um, what else has he been in? Snowpiercer. Quite a few. He's like one of the most respected people. It, for me, like he just never delivers bad performances. Mm-hmm. And even though he's kind of unlikable at times in this movie, it's it's still a good performance. Mm-hmm. But then you get the different levels of police work. Like when um, Kim Sang-kyung's Detective CEO from Seoul comes and you've got the other two detectives who are very much like, we've found someone, we're going to make him confess, even if he's not. And then you've got the more methodical, the more intelligent kind of police work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, what did you think about this movie? I thought it was really good. Like you didn't tell me really anything about it. We did pause it right at the start because I I knew nothing mm. about it really. And you saw her explain, you know, this came out and then um, they still didn't know who the murderer was. Um, well, the serial killer was at this time when the film came out. Um, so it then kind of explains a bit more. So I was like, okay, right, well, I know what to expect. Some sense. It wasn't all going to be wrapped up by yeah. the end. Because if it just ended, I'd be like, what? Why don't I know who this is? Yeah. Um. So I, I really, I did actually really enjoy it. I thought it was good. A lot of my notes are all about like what, what happens in it, just because it is quite a long, a long film. But the main thing I took away from this, and and I don't know if this is correct, that part of, um, so the serial killer goes around and he murders women. Yeah. Exclusively women. Yep. Usually when it's raining, Mm -hmm. usually when they've been wearing red, or at least that was his MO to begin with. And so it's in this small village and everything else. Of course, there's fear about it. But also I feel like part of the fear is actually the poverty that these people are living in. Like, for example, like money will buy better infrastructure, it'll buy the street lamps, it'll upgrade the roads, it'll buy better public transport, all of which these people don't have. There seems to be like a bus that we see once, Mm. but it must be very basic. A lot of people live on outskirts. There's a big factory that they go to, then they have to walk literally just down a path to get to it. There's nothing lit. But like part of, the fear is the fact that the, the poverty that is in this place. And then like the other thing is that the, the violence to each of the women is increasingly worse. It gets increasingly more violent as it gets on. And um, the women, like we don't meet the first few victims, but they were known in the town. And each of the victims are women who talk of leaving the village. They each say, you know, um, like obviously, oh, she was so pretty. She she could have got a modeling contract. Mm. She could have gone anywhere. Or you know, oh, we don't know. Um, it might like you know that victim might not be her. Yeah, she's been missing for a while. But she always said about she wanted to go to Seoul and all this. And maybe she's just taken off. And the fact is that when he first starts getting the women, they're wearing red. In yes, uh, you know, it's in it's in a poorer town. Red is cr- quite a rich color. Mm. It's not part of like natural colours that are easy to get to when it's very vibrant. So he's picking out women who are purposefully 
they don't belong there. They don't belong under, they, they don't want to be stepped on. They don't want to be, you know, subdued. The killer is literally keeping the women in their place. Okay. By murdering them. All the women had could in some way, whether whether it would be something like as simple as she was beautiful, she could have gone to the city and got herself a better job, or she was in school, she could have got she could have worked hard and been able to leave. All of them were sort of talked about in a way that at some point they probably would have left the village and now that they never can because they've been murdered. No, and I like I like that theory. But it's like for me, it's like again it's shown you talk about the poverty, but again, it's again it's the incapability, and, it's, and sometimes not on the fault of the police people. It's the fact that they don't have the manpower, or like for example, like the education you've got with Inspector Cho, who's like I sat in seventh grade for like however many years. Mm-hmm. Like, how the hell are you a police officer? How are you responsible for this? I just write him down as Kickman. Kickman. Because he just kicked, he did flying kicks at everybody. And that was, well, yeah, he did actually. Um, and it reminded me kind of of, there's this HBO film called Citizen X by Chris Giromo and back in 1995, but it's all about the investigation into the murders of Andrea Chicalito, Chikatilo, whatever like that, who was the first serial killer in Soviet Russia. Mm-hmm. Now, the film is about the guy who's investigating that and the, and the team behind it. However, what he's got is not only has he got this active serial killer killing, but he's got the bureaucracy of <clears throat> the higher ups within the Soviet Union saying, this place is a bliss. It doesn't have serial killers. Mm-hmm. We will not give you the infrastructure or the people that you need to solve this because of the, the political impact that it might have. And again, this sort of piece reminds me of the Yorkshire Ripper. Mm-hmm. Of just so, all these people who are trying the hardest, but are incapable because they don't have the means yeah. to actually solve it. And I think that is the the interesting part about this, because even when Inspector CEO comes and he has some good theories, it doesn't work because he doesn't find the, the killer. And like the, the killer actually was caught in 2019 when and they do talk about it in this is a um, new dna evidence came out mm-hmm. and they talk about how they, they had to get dna sent to america back in that time to get it back it took a long time and and the man was actually already in prison for another murder in 1994 mm-hmm. and then he talks about like how he was walking around not really hiding that he was killing people but nobody like he said at one time he got stopped by the police and he was holding one of the watches of the victims and they didn't know they didn't they they didn't even um ask him or anything like that yeah and it's like when you got the scenes like at the beginning where at the first murder scene where you've got detective park who circles a footprint and then nobody really knows what to do with a crime scene Mm -hmm. and a tractor rolls over you've got press everywhere who are just contaminating every sort of evidence yeah. and it's just you've got society not ready for what's happening mm-hmm. um, and it, I think it, the entire movie is quite cynical about that and it's very cutting about that and then you've got like the, even the, the look of the movie like it's practically monochromatic yeah it is so sort of grayscale so very uncolorful so when you do have those sparks of red they really do stand out mm-hmm. 
And then the way the film deals with suspense, like you mentioned, you got the rain. So like when Inspector CEO comes with comes up with that theory, in your head, you're like, your countdown begins. Yeah. It's like, well, it's gonna rain again. So just build suspense and then you get the the input of the song. Mm-hmm. And the scene when the song plays and it's raining and that fear of it's going to happen again and we can't do anything about it. Yeah. It is. And then they try and get the police, some more police on the streets, but they're dealing with a protest in a different town. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's so like seething regarding like the entire system that they're working in and the bureaucracy like that it comes with. But yeah, it's, it's one of those where I really wanted to do this film for quite a while, but I do find it quite daunting mm-hmm. because it, it is just so like important to me. And I think it's such a interesting film to talk about because it just works yeah. on so many different levels, but like standout scenes in the movie as well. It's, we get to see there's a scene where one of the victims is walking through with an umbrella and a torch mm-hmm. and she's just looking around. She can maybe hear something. And then when you, she sort of turns around and you see a head pop up out of the grass. I kind slowly, of that. Slowly and go back down. Well, it was quite funny because a couple of scenes previously, um, Detective Park had said that grass is full of snakes and he yeah. pops up like, like a little snake. He does, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's, but he's just using the frame. It's not using cutting, it's not using editing. It's just using like, that's good filmmaking and how that scene amps up and how it ends. It's, really quite scary and sends like shivers down your spine and like talking about shivers this for me has one of the greatest end shots of any movie not not it's not a fancy shot it's not extravagant it's not thing it's just the impact of the final shot where detective parker is not a detective anymore he's just a normal salesman which i think also tells you something about yeah he seems to do quite well as a salesman well, yeah, but it's just like the fact that he shouldn't really have been a police officer, maybe. Yeah. Um, and he's talking to the young girl where he goes to visit the first victim mm-hmm. site. Nobody's there. And a little girl says, oh, well, somebody was here a little while ago who said, I did something here long ago and I just wanted to check. And that, and that is just creepy as all hell. Yeah. And then talks about, did you see his face? Yeah, he looked ordinary then takes a gaze and then just stares right at the camera. And that's, you're breaking that fourth wall and then you're inviting the audience into the movie. To, and it completely changes the way that you look at certain scenes, mm-hmm. especially given that at this time, well, at this time, the, the crime was unsolved. And the idea that the killer was out there in the audience and what of an impact that would have had of just turning on him and I don't know, it, that, that entire thing just, it's a different level of, of filmmaking, different yeah, level yeah. of storytelling, because it takes you out the story and brings the audience completely mm-hmm. onto the same level. For me, it's still, I mean, Parasite, Parasite is renowned now, but this is still, I mean, it was his second movie, but it, it's still his best movie, in my opinion, is Bong Joon-ho. It's, for somebody who's only made one film before this, it's just his control of everything that's in the scene. And everything that's in the movie is just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Do you have anything more you want to add? No, it's just, I definitely, I really enjoyed it. I'm really pleased. It was the first time I'd watched anything of Korean cinema. So 
I would definitely recommend it to people. Definitely watch it again. And that's it. I'm saying, and the way I'm talking about it, it seems like it is really, really heavy. And don't, don't get me wrong, it is. But like the performances can be quite funny at times. Yeah, there's like quite the over the top. It's like when when Inspector CEO first comes and um, Inspector Park thinks he's attacking someone, and then like jumps mm-hmm. and double drop kicks him. It, it's it's funny, but also there's a it's, lot of double drop kicks in there. But also, it's like his theory of the fact that there's no pubic hair found in cases <laughs> and what a bald monk. But you see, he must be bald down there. So therefore, what does he do? He goes to the the, the saunas, the baths, and just stares at all the men. <laughs> But and he, then complains that he then can't get it reimbursed. But it, it just does like like the the idiocy of it, mm-hmm. and it's like okay, well these people were the ones trying to find it. No wonder he was never really found. Yeah, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's it's not a hugely flash, flashy film or a complex film. It's just good old fashioned filmmaking, and I think that's it. That is it. That's it for this episode. Um, yes. I'm not sure what we're doing next time, but. You can have a think. You can have a think, but we'll be back. We'll probably be back in a week or so, I think. We'll try and get back on Monday mornings. Yes. Yeah, we've had weddings to to plan and work to do, so we've been a little bit more erratic, but still consistent, I would say. I think I think so, yeah. I definitely agree. Cool. So, yeah, as always, Apple Podcast Reviews, is very welcome. You can go follow us on our socials. We're his film, her movie on Instagram. Same on Twitter. Give us an email, voicemail at, at hfhmpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And go over to wearepodsyndicate.com and check out all the other great podcasts there. Yes, you might find a new favourite. Yeah. So that is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. We'll see you next week. This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.